0: Unexpectedly, today, His Eminence Cardinal Pell passed away at age 81. It's a surprise. He was visiting Rome for the funeral of Pope Benedict XVI to pay his regard. And he had also scheduled a hip surgery, a replacement hip surgery. And the story that I've gotten, it could be incorrect. But the story I've heard is he had a successful hip surgery. Afterwards, he was speaking to the doctor about the successful hip surgery, and he died suddenly. That's all we have. His secretary has released that he's died, and the Holy See has acknowledged that Cardinal Pell has died. So that's Dr. Taylor Marshall from the Dr. Taylor Marshall show um, confirming the death of Cardinal Pell from Australia on while he was visiting Rome for the funeral of Pope Benedict. Today is January 11th, 2023 anno domini. So you've got Cardinal Pell passes away in Rome for the funeral of Pope Emeritus Pope Benedict. More writings now have been released from both Cardinal Pell And Pope Benedict and this is what we need to get into and in order to do this I want to bring on Libby Emmons first show of the year Libby. Thank you so much for joining us
1: Thanks, Jack happy to be here.
0: So we're gonna dig into this We've also got some news from Libby that we're gonna break down in the next segment But first up Cardinal Pell wrote an article apparently for the spectator now We don't know if he was on his deathbed writing this because it seems as though this was a surprise Um, But he may have known that his number was was coming up soon because he wrote an article to be published posthumously. It later came out in The Spectator. He wrote denouncing the current neo-Marxist agenda of Pope Francis, the synodism of the church which he says is completely anti-tradition, it's anti-scripture, anti-theological. And he wrote, the Catholic Church must free itself from this toxic nightmare. This is a member, by the way, Cardinal Pell was one of the former members of the inner circle of Pope Francis himself, our first Jesuit Pope. And even perhaps more drastically, we've now received, and this is from the American Conservative, we've received an excerpt from a letter that was written by Pope Benedict before he passed that has never been revealed until today. And Pope Benedict wrote in this letter, which was released right around the time of his funeral, obviously after his passing, he wrote that we are now living in the time of the Antichrist. Benedict wrote, we see how the power of the Antichrist is expanding. And we can only pray that the Lord will give us strong shepherds who will defend his church in the hour of need from the power of evil. Um, Pope Benedict throughout his life was an eschatologist. He wrote and studied the end times. He studied the signs of the end times. He wrote about how the Antichrist, he believed, would come as a theologian, someone who quotes scripture the way the devil does. In the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, in when he tempts Jesus in the wilderness, he wrote that the Antichrist would come as benevolent, as a humanist, and potentially that the Antichrist would come from within the church itself. Libby Emmons, I know it's your first show back, but what do you think about these, these revelations and the fact that you have someone as high as the Pope himself writing that we are living in the time of the Antichrist?
1: I think it's absolutely fascinating, and what you point out about the time that Jesus spent in the desert when he was tempted by Satan repeatedly, um, that's actually some of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible entirely. Um, The Lenten season is the most celebratory time of the year, I find, in my heart, um, with with trying to live up to Christ's example rejecting Satan, Christ's example of um, trusting God in all things. And it is really stunning to look at this and uh, wonder if we really are living in the time of the Antichrist. That's something for my whole life since childhood, I've been uh, a bit terrified, I'm, I'm not ashamed to say, of this idea that we could all be uh, collectively led astray by someone who has that kind of darkness in their heart, and... Um, and I, I think it's definitely worth an examination.
0: So this idea, this eschatology that, you know, it's the study of the end, the study of the end of all things. And that really is the 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 word apocalypse um, for us comes from the Greek, the word apocalypsis, which, of course, just means revelation. And so the book of Revelation, by when it was written by the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, he was writing about the final revelation. And so when we talk about this, we have to understand that these are the signs we're all looking for.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it, it's sort of stunning. I'm sort of blown away by it. Honestly, that's why I'm a little bit speechless. Um, and I, I think it's, you know, <laughs> it's certainly What should we, what should we, all right for you,
0: for you as a mom though, for you as a mom, mm-hmm. when you hear something like that, what does it make you think?
1: Um, You know, I try to teach my son to uh, trust God, really, to look for faith and to um, not be discouraged when he can't find it in himself. I think that doubt is really an essential part of catechism. And there was a time um, at the end of Mother Teresa's life where she expressed concerns, where she expressed doubt. And to me, that gave me a lot of hope um, and It gave me even more faith, honestly, because I thought if someone who does the kinds of good works that Mother Teresa does can experience doubt, can be concerned that perhaps she has been wrong in her trust in God. Perhaps she's been wrong in her faith. Then it made me feel a lot better about my own doubts that I have had over um, over my time in faith and my time in the church. You know, so, this yeah, this idea that uh, we could be living in the time of the Antichrist, it's also possible too, though, because we are, as a human race, we're constantly obsessed with the end times. We're constantly looking for that moment in history that we are living through that makes our time so unique. We're obsessed with our own ends We're really uh, constantly trying to figure out what the end of the world is going to be like. There's a play, actually, by... Uh, playwright called Len Jenkin, called Dark Ride. And at the end, you have the characters repeatedly saying, I don't care about philosophy, just tell me how it ends. And I think something that's something we're always looking for. We're always desperate to know what the end of the world looks like, uh, what the end of our own lives looks like. It feels like we're speeding at, um, you know, the, the speed of a bullet to get to the end of things. And to Indeed, what, and what and, like. and as yeah. we are at
0: the end of things, in the same way that we are at the end of our segment. But uh, <laughs> before we head out, you know, what I'll just say is, as the Lord tells us, he will come like a thief in the night. We never know. And so it's incumbent on us to always be ready, to always be prayerful, to always understand that our time may one day be up. And we're back. So Libby Emmons, I've got to ask you, um, you posted something on the Postmillennial this morning that I've known about has been in the works for a little bit. I can see that your background has changed just a little bit since the last time we've had you on. Tell us about the piece that you just wrote. It seems like a very personal piece that you just published up at the Postmillennial.
1: It was very personal. I moved out of New York I um, moved into a home of my own and a red state um, in a little town where my son goes outside to play after school. Uh, He barely knows where his Xbox is right now. uh, And um, he's thriving and happy. And I could not be more overjoyed that my son is happy. Um, You're beaming right now, Libby. You're actually beaming. I'm very happy. I'm very happy. because. As any parent will tell you, right, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. I only have one child, and he's doing great. So I'm thrilled beyond measure that he's doing so well. And So when I I said get out of cities,
0: and I when I kept saying (laughs) get out of cities, get out of cities, get out of cities, you decided to actually take me literally.
1: I actually did take you literally. And to be honest, I never thought in my entire life that I would leave New York City. From the time I was little, my mom lived on West 66th Street uptown. She lived right near Tower Records. She lived across from Lincoln Center. She owned her own apartment. Um, I loved visiting her there. I didn't grow up there. I loved visiting her. I grew up in Massachusetts. I spent summer vacations in New York City. I spent uh, school um, breaks and holidays in New York City and uh my mother was born in new york city my grandparents were born in new york city my great-grandparents immigrated from italy to new york city they opened their businesses there my great-grandfather one of my great-grandfathers owned a grocery store on um, 34th street and he eventually sold the space to macy's which then opened macy's Uh, my other great-grandfather Opened several bakeries in New York City, one after the other. Each each one kept failing, and so, you finally opened one in Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> so you've got a lot of family history there. A, a lot, lot of family root. history. You've lived in New York, right. and you wrote in the piece for about about twenty years. About the last twenty years, you've been in New York. Yeah,
1: I've been a permanent so resident me, for twenty years.
0: Walk me through then, in in a, a you know, and summarize because the piece is just amazing. You wrote in the piece, and this I think is the best line. You said you left the sirens of New York for the church bells of small town America. Walk us through the thought process and then the feeling when you got to where you are now.
1: I, I was very stunned that I left New York every step of the way. I found it sort of shocking. I kept having to realize that I was leaving. But it wasn't until the day after New Year's that I realized uh, that I hadn't just left someplace. I had arrived. Somewhere else, I was sitting here in my little office that I share with my son. We set it up. I had the window open, and I heard church bells. It had been decades since I heard church bells Um, in New York City. I hear the calls to prayer from the mosque nearby. I hear lots of screaming. I hear cats and traffic and cursing and all sorts of things. And I heard church bells. And then I realized that the church bells were actually playing Christmas carols. The church bells were playing Christmas carols, and I had never heard church bells playing Christmas carols. I realized in that moment that I had come to a place where my culture exists, that my culture, neither in the arts nor, you know, particularly religiously, culturally existed anymore in New York City. And here I was listening to Christmas carols on a crisp winter's day coming through my window. And I felt my heart lift. I felt my eyes sting with this recognition. Um, and it was really very joyous. And then then my son ran by the window, getting uh, on an office chair on the porch. So
2: that
1: was really funny.
0: <laughs> I can actually <laughs> picture broke, him doing that, broke, that too, by the way.
1: Well. Yeah, but it was very surprising. Um, very surprising to leave. Very surprising then to uh, walking arrive. walking through,
0: walking through the decision process, right? Because you're a mom. Uh, you've got your son. Why, why leave New York now? Was it, was it COVID? Was it the lockdowns? Was it the vaccine mandates? Is it the crime? Is there, or is it just sort of all of that?
1: It was kind of everything all at once. I was no longer part of the theater community. I moved to New York City to make art, to make theater. That community um, is not one that I'm a part of. And the art that I see coming out of it is certainly not something that I want to be a part of. Uh, School shut down halfway through fourth grade for my son. And even though he's been back, there's really just no education happening at the school where he was. 36 kids in his class, because there were two teachers in the class that allowed them to have all of these uh, extra kids. There was no personal attention. He would come home and tell me that his teacher kept the kids in the classroom after the bell rang because there were fights in the hall. Um, Lunches were terrible. Uh, It just was not working out for him. And that was a huge deal. Also, the city has changed drastically. And that did happen under de Blasio and COVID. The subways are not as safe as they were. Plus, the infrastructure of the subway system itself has entirely veered off course. So that you could be on a train that you think is running express only to find five stops into your express train that it's now going to run local and you're going to be 45 minutes for whatever it was you thought you were trying to do. Uh, Uber rides home in the middle of the night, uh, $80, things like this. Um, so yeah, it was uh, definitely the lifestyle that I had come to New York to have no longer existed. It at least no longer existed for me, and it definitely did not exist for my son. It was at the point where I certainly, he's of the age where I should be able to say, go ahead to the park with your friends and come home when you're ready. And there was just not the possibility of doing that. The park was not a safe place for him to do, um, you know, to go play, to, to walk over to. Uh, there's definitely no playing with Nerf guns in the park because you have to worry that you might get shot. Um, and certainly, you know, his friends who are are brown, like they have to worry about getting shot as well. We've seen that. Um, so there were all kinds of concerns, education, lifestyle, crime. Also, the political leanings of the city are so horrific. Uh, I definitely did not want my tax dollars to be paying for women for, uh, from other states to come to the city and get abortions. That's something Kathy Hochul, the governor of the state, really wants to have
0: happen. Libby, I just got to (laughs) say, we're running out of time, but I just got to say, God bless you. It sounds like you're absolutely thriving. You've gone and you're not having culture shock. I think you're having uh, culture discovery, cultural rebirth, in a sense. And it's great to see. We can't wait to come visit you. We have to come out for a play date uh, with Jack Jack. But folks, I want to remind you let's talk about things that sound too good to be true, because, you know, like offers for free iPhones, you hear about that, it sounds like too good to be true. It sounds like, it's kind of like freedom itself. It's not free. You know, these mobile phone companies, they only lock you in to long-term contracts, but not only that, they build in the price of the phone to your bill with hidden fees. we will tell you something about Patriot Mobile, Patriot Mobile can show you how to get that same iPhone interest-free, without the games, the gimmicks, no contract. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer nationwide coverage on the best 4G and 5G networks because they use the same carriers as the major, the same towers, as the major carriers. So you get the same great service while you support a company that is fighting to preserve our God-given rights and freedoms like Libby is just talking about there. Patriot Mobile also offers a performance guarantee. If You're not happy with your coverage. You can switch to any of the three major providers they provide for free. Go to ma- patriotmobile.com/poso, patriotmobile.com/poso or call their 100% US-based customer service team. You can get free activation today with promo code POSO. If you're fed up with woke companies that don't care about the values of our country or your family, support a company that does. patriotmobile.com/poso.
2: When University of Idaho murder suspect Brian Kohlberger was arrested, this woman couldn't believe her eyes. I recognized him immediately and my heart just sank because I couldn't believe that like I was face-to-face with this guy. Nurse Haley Ouellette says they met on Tinder in 2015 when they were both psych majors at Pennsylvania colleges. He took her to a movie, then insisted on escorting her to her dorm room. I was kind of afraid to say no, so I... Just let him come in with me. Then he did something she says she'll never forget. He kept trying to tickle me, and I would ask him to stop, or I'd say, "What are you doing?" And he would be like, "I'm not. I'm. I'm not tickling you." And he would get very serious. Creeped out by Coburger, she came up with a clever ruse. I proceeded to pretend to throw up in the bathroom, hoping that you know it would gross him out and he would leave. Did it work? Yeah, he. Um, had messaged me on Tinder and said that he was leaving and that he had a good time and that he would message me later. And then about an hour later, he messaged me and he said that I had good birthing hips and I just never messaged him back after that.
0: So Libby Emmons, we haven't had you on since the news broke about Brian Koberger, the fact that this does look like this was a serial killer who is obsessed with serial killers. You and I had Talked about different hypotheses about um, was this potentially someone who was a jilted lover? Was this someone who um, had planned this out, was working up to it? Now we see that he had been on Tinder looks like seven, eight years ago, was on there back when he was in Pennsylvania still. Um, still haven't found any connection or that we know of between the suspect, even though the evidence is is very strong against mm-hmm. against him, very very strong evidence, DNA, cell phone, uh, video evidence, and now that we see this Tinder angle, walk us through what do you think the psychology is? Uh, you know, do you think this was an innocuous uh, Tinder? You know, same reason everybody uses Tinder, right? Try to hook up with somebody. It's hook up. It's a hookup app. But is there a danger of combining the hookup culture? of the 21st century where you have these one night stand apps at the same time as we see this massive explosion in true crime, the obsession with serial killers that seems to be every single new Netflix show that comes out or HBO series. It's always about serial killers. What is the danger there?
1: Yeah, I think that there is a danger. And this isn't the first time that we've heard of a situation where a woman has gone on a tinder date with someone who turns out to be a total psychopath we've seen this before um people have said you know my tinder date tried to kill me and things like this have come out uh yeah i think it's a concern the other thing too is if you're going on a tinder date right and let's say it's a hookup app um type of thing you don't always tell people that you're going on these dates you know i've had friends tell me like only way afterwards oh i ended up going out with this guy and I, Oh, I met him on Tinder, you know, but you don't hear from your friend that she's going on a date with the guy from Tinder in the first place. Um, because I think people are embarrassed of that, of, of doing that sort of well, thing. Sometimes. And, and is, but, Tinder,
0: so, is, is yeah. Tinder like Snapchat in, in which if it, it's very easy to delete the the text, it's very easy to delete the connections. So is it possible? And I'm, I'm not, casting aspersions, anything like this. But is it possible that he they could have connected through Tinder or one of the other dating apps between 10 miles, right? He lived 10 miles away. Is it possible that maybe he was chatting with one of the girls and maybe they didn't even know, right? Maybe he's got a total catfish account right. on one of the apps. They're chatting and that's how he targets people and then eventually led to targeting them. Potentially, not even just the ones who died, but potentially even the one uh, one of the ones who lived.
1: Yeah, that's a hypothesis that certainly could prove out if Tinder has any records of the communications, which I don't know if they necessarily do. People need to be a lot safer, though, out there when they're dating. And you dating certainly wouldn't admit it. Dating. Yeah, you certainly wouldn't admit it. But, you know, I think people do need to be a lot safer. There's a, There are reasons that uh, we had courtship rituals, right? If you look at the Amish, they still do have these courtship rituals where if a couple is courting they're accompanied by a couple in a different carriage, you know, who right. go along for the ride to make sure. In, that in China, they call it.
0: that um, in China, they call that the the light bulb, the third instead mm-hmm. of that. We call it, you know, we consider it the third wheel in sort of modern society. But in China, they consider that third person. Um, and this is the traditional culture, not not what you see today, but they would call that person the light bulb. They're there just to mm-hmm. kind of shine a light on everything that's going on.
1: And that makes a lot of sense. But to a certain extent, people aren't looking for relationships when they go on dates. They're not looking for relationships when they go on these apps. They're looking for something far briefer. Um, You know, they're looking for a one night stand or something like that. So why would you want somebody along if you only intend to see the person just the one time? Perhaps that's perhaps that's a, a concern that we should have. Perhaps one night stands should not be what our culture is driving towards and what people are seeking when they're looking for. Uh, and we
0: live you know, in a disposable culture. People.
1: And people are disposable as well. I had a friend exactly. recently telling me about, um, you know, a situation similar to this. And she was saying, you know, that her friend who was a guy was just seeing women as, you know, just throw away, throw away women as he was waiting for the true thing. And I was like, that's just crazy. Like, you can't throw away a bunch of women and expect that a good woman is going to show up and be ready to be with you after all of that. It's just not that likely. Uh, and your mind that if you're looking at someone as a throwaway person is not going to be to treasure them and to treasure their heart, to care for them, to be cared for. You're just not going to have that um that feeling. I think it's certainly possible that this guy has been involved in other situations, right? I mean, who's to say that this is even his first crime, necessarily? I
0: wonder no, if no, I, I think there's cats. I think there is a lot more that's going to come out on this. The fact that we know that he was meeting people on social media apps, these one night stand apps, I think is huge. I think that those apps, billions of dollars that on the line, they're going to do everything they can to deny that he was using it, but we, we clearly see it. And I hope that the post millennial will continue to pull at that thread. Libby Evans, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations to you on your successful escape from New York. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.